Welcome to This Show is All About You. This is a show about all the ways in which you and me connect as we and what that means for all of us. Now, you may notice that my voice seems much different than normal. That's because JDK Winnikin is out on the road again. And so um, forget his IQ. I wrote my own. The cat is away. So I have freedom to play. Don't ask me to talk. <laughs> anyway, so JD is going to call in and he is the typical host. And you can find out more about him at his website, wordsbyjdk.com, and on his social media feeds. He's on Facebook, he's on Instagram, he's on Twitter, he's everywhere. And right now, he's literally everywhere. He is on the road. Um, which he's talking about freedom and America's pastimes. Last time it was baseball and one of America's favorite pastimes. And this time it is traveling on the road. And this show is titled The Road to Mini Doika. I'm sure he's going to correct me on the pronunciation when he, when he gets on here. Um, and the haiku that he wrote, which is far more classy and relevant and professional, is your heartbreak stayed there, echoing as injustice, but no one listened. So he's given me all these notes and I've totally gone off the rails. Like I'm just supposed to introduce myself right now. <laughs> Too late. So I am actually Stacy Heller. I am JD's friend. I am a producer and I have my own show called Don't Ask Me to Talk. Um Oh, so now's the part where I'm supposed to talk about freedom through the prism of baseball and how you're doing this other amazing American pastime that is about freedom and the road trip. Now, here's what I'm going to say about the road trip. Isn't it interesting that the summer road trip, you know, I mean, Clark Griswold did it. Um, it everybody, everybody does it, um, except during a pandemic. However... It's so interesting that this idea of movement is a freedom that we take for granted, right? You know, we came over to the United States from England, some of us, in order to have freedom and from oppressors. And this idea of being able to move, that has a certain amount of freedom. And so the road trip is really the, not only is it an amazing pastime, but it's also a freedom that we get to enjoy. However, um, Given the title of the show and the haiku that is associated with it, I have a feeling that it is not all giant balls of yarn and random trees and rest stops with really good coffee. Um, so let's see where he is exactly. Is Are you on? Are you here, caller? Yes, I am. <gasps> Hello, Stacey. How are you? I'm fine. I'm totally not taking over your show. It's fine. Don't worry about it. No, thank you so much for sitting in for me while while I'm out and about, as you said. Uh, you're doing a great job. Oh, well, thank you so much. Where are you exactly? Right now, I am in Casper, Wyoming. Oh. Uh, which And it's a balmy 99 degrees at 4 o'clock. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a it's a little warm. I'm on Casper's uh, on the east side of the state. I'm on my way over to the west side of the state. This time tomorrow, I will be in Grand Teton National Park and or Yellowstone. Not quite sure, but um, I'm sort of looping my way back on this road trip. I left from Seattle and 
end up in Fort Collins, Colorado to visit with my sister and her family. And now I'm sort of working my way back, meandering uh, along the way. And um, so I have about, after this, I have about another three hours or so of driving to get where I need to go. But, um, but it's been, it's been really good so far. And it, it feels really good after a year of being secluded indoors and not really being able to go anywhere to be out on the road again. I, I, I love doing road trips as I know you do too. Oh, I'm, well, okay. Yes and no for me because my dad, when I was a kid, my dad liked to do these Sunday drives and they resulted in four or five hour trips through different states so that he could capture a picture that he had never found before. And oh, wow. I would get car sick. So my parents would uh, shove a pillow and uh, some water and some goldfish crackers in the back and say, take a nap. So road trips basically to me mean a nap that will end up with a stop for ice cream. Well, and in, on the East Coast, where you're from, you could do five states in, what, 90 minutes? In, in, <laughs> in theory. I mean, you know, it's in no theory, four corners, theory, right? but... Yeah, right, right. So, yeah. but yes, I mean, road trips are just, I don't know, it seems like a summer thing. We all have memories of being in the car with our family, and, mm-hmm. you know, my older brothers would, like, spread their legs like guys do, and I'd be sitting in the middle, like, all squished, and, you know... Oh, yeah. Yeah, man's, oh, yeah. My, man-spreading. My, 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 my parents used to, my sister and I would sit in the back seat, and my parents, as before, they had, like, the separate seats and minivans and that type of thing. And my parents used to just put the cooler full of snacks between us, and that was the the DMZ, if you will, you know, between nice. the two of us. We couldn't reach across that. And so, yeah, so I have a lot of memories of that. I also have a lot of memories of, of um, us all arguing over what music to listen to. Of course, this is before you could have, you know, Walkmen were around, but they could still be pretty loud, and so... My parents always insisted on us um, agreeing on the music, and that usually ended up being the Beach Boys, Creedence Clearwater Revival, and one or two others. <laughs> I'm impressed you got a choice. We got no choice. We got no food. We weren't allowed to eat in the car. Um, oh, you know, yeah. I basically was like born and raised, and it was just awful. No, I'm kidding. Oh, um, all right. Well. So, so why do you think that? Um, so I mentioned what I think reminds me of this idea of a road trip and freedom because mm-hmm. that's kind of what you're talking about this month freedom and pastimes mm-hmm. yeah. and and that kind of yeah. thing um what is it that you love about them that feels like you know an ultimate freedom oh well you know i was i was sort of practicing it today you know on my on my way up from fort collins and north into wyoming i i knew where i needed to end up by the end of the day but i didn't really have a timetable or or a plan and and as i was driving along the road up i-25 um i saw some signs for the oregon trail wagon ruts huh. national site and then there's also fort laramie which of course was a huge important station on the oregon trail and an important um american military installation during the indian wars of the 1850s 60s and 70s and i'd never seen those things before and so i i pulled off the road drove 22 miles eastward <laughs> through the middle of nowhere to see these things. And I'm, I'm glad I did. And, and so then, then I drove back and, and now I'm in Casper. I, the freedom for me is the ability to kind of do that. Right. You know, on a road, a road trip to kind of know where you need to go, but not necessarily plan how you're going to get there and, and not try to anticipate every single little thing. And, and, you know, my, um, you know, we used to plan a lot for our, our road trips and we always wanted to get to a certain place at a certain time. But um, my folks were really good about, you know, kind of exploring, you know, uh, out of the way places and things like that. And so I, I like that. And I also like the fact that every day on a road trip, when I wake up, I have no idea what it is that I'm 
see that day. No idea who I'm going to talk to. No idea what uh, what experiences are going to happen or what thoughts are going to come to mind. And because I'm out of my normal routine, it opens me up to a lot of things, maybe some, some thoughts, some ideas, some perspectives that I just wouldn't be considering on my own because I'm sort of in my daily routine and in my familiar environment. There's something about getting out and stretching. Right, getting you know, out of the... Figuratively. Getting yeah. out of the rut of the daily and getting into the rut of the Oregon Trail. Did you? Um, ah, exactly. Did you run into anyone with dysentery? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, and no one. Yeah, no one died. Like you know, and you know, and there was no upside down wagon with you know dead you know, dead donkeys and spilled <laughs> spilled whiskey. You know, nothing like that. Like the old game. Yeah. Nothing oh my like gosh, that. the game. So um, yeah, but man, it's and and you know this. I'm always reminded on these road trips around the country just just a what a widely what a wide variety of topography um, and scenery we have in this country. And, and there's something about that, too, you know, to these wide open spaces um, and these small towns that are so different from the big cities, you know, where we are and, and things like that and talking to people with, with different perspectives. And even if it's just a, a simple exchange over, you know, purchasing something at a, at a gas station. Right. right? It's, it's, a, it's a different environment. And, and, you know, we were when I was out in uh, – near Fort Laramie earlier today, stopped in this small little uh, gas station shop to pick up, a, you know, a couple of snacks on the way out. And I had a nice conversation for five minutes with the guy behind the counter. And he asked, you know, where I was from. And I, I told him from Seattle. And and it was just a great, friendly conversation. He says, you want to stay here and I'll take your car and I can go up there because <laughs> I love it up there. <laughs> and I said, well, no, I don't particularly want to stay out here. But, you know, it was a lovely, nice shop. Have you been there before? And we went back and forth, and he gave me some some suggestions on places to go uh, that are you know a place places only locals in Wyoming would know about. Mm-hmm. You know, and so so that kind of thing, and so and particularly right now in a very you know polarized social and political environment that we're in, just reconnecting with people and connecting in small ways, in ways that you know I don't know I don't know his politics. You know, it's Wyoming; it's a very conservative state. You know, I'm from Seattle; it, that's not a conservative town. And, you know, and so it, it can be really easy to just assume that in a conversation like that, you know, there's judgments going back and forth. Right. You know, um, but it wasn't that case and, and didn't matter in that moment. And I like that because in the end, those connective moments are really what matter. Absolutely. Well, I mean, yeah. my my tagline for my own show is uh, conversation or connection through conversation. I don't even know my tagline. That's terrible. Um <laughs> But, you know, making connections with people. I mean, really what it comes down to is do you like Funyuns or not? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I commented that although I I wrote my very own haiku, since, you know, the cat is away and all of that, uh, yeah. you had one that is, per usual, so beautifully written and so, um, and so poignant and it's also not the stuff of gas station pit stops and the Oregon Trail. So Yeah. Yeah, I should probably explain that, huh? Uh, you know, I mean, yes. And did I say um is it mini doika? Minidoka. Doka. Minidoka. Okay. Yeah, Minidoka. Yeah, um I should explain that. Um Minidoka is actually uh well, it's several things. It's a county and a town in uh, I guess you could say south central Idaho, and it's near Twin Falls, 
So southeast of Boise. And but Minidoka, the Minidoka I'm talking about is also the name of what was one of the largest uh, Japanese relocation centers during the Second World War. Uh, 13,000 Japanese Americans were kept at uh, at a facility in, Min- in near Minidoka. I think that's where it got its name. Uh, from 1942 until the end of the war, 1945. And uh, I, I honestly can't remember, Stacy, how I stumbled upon this. It was months ago that I, re- that I found this, this place. And, and then when I decided to do this road trip and I thought I could go right past it, then I, then I would go see it. I've, I've not been to a relocation center before, which is a, which is a concentration camp. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, that is the name. That's how, what they call it there, the National <laughs> Park Service runs the site, and they refer to it as a concentration camp in the sense of it's a place that was concentrating a group of people defined by some characteristic, in this case, their ethnicity, no, wait, I have a question. Sure. So is this synonymous with internment camps? Yes. Okay. Yes. So they I just want re- to... Were... Yes. I want to exactly. clarify That's that. It. Yeah, thank you. Their, its official name was a relocation center. Okay. Uh, we commonly know them as Japanese internment camps. Yes, okay. there, there were 10 big ones uh, throughout the western United States. In fact, there were, there were a couple in Arkansas also, but California, Colorado, Utah... Wyoming. Uh, the biggest one is here in Wyoming, uh, about three hours north of me. Okay. Um, Missoula, that type of thing. And about 160,000 Japanese Americans after Pearl Harbor were uh, removed from their homes, wherever they are, mostly on the West Coast, and brought to one of these camps and were held indefinitely. And Minidoka was one of the bigger ones, and it's one of only three that actually has um, National uh, Park Service protection and has been you know, restored to a certain amount. And and things like that. So the reason why I wanted to talk about it, and the reason what it has to do with freedom, is is this one thing that I've noticed on this trip. As you know, I go to historical sites all the time. This is what I like to do. And this one was really hard to find. I actually overshot it because, unlike Fort Laramie today, unlike the Oregon Trail ruts, there was no sign on the side of I eighty four, the brown signs that show historical sites. Really? For this? Yeah, none, none. And so you know, overshot it came back and uh, found it, but there was nothing even, it was about 15 miles off the highway. There was nothing in the towns I went through that pointed towards it, nothing. And later when I posted on my personal uh, Facebook page, one of my really good friends from back east said she, her grandparents had lived in Twin Falls her whole life. She had visited there a number of times and she had no idea. And the story of this place is remarkable. 13,000 Japanese Americans who within a year made the camp self-sufficient. They were surrounded by barbed wire, guard towers, that type of thing. They built 13 baseball fields because they all love baseball, because they're all American. I read this. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. 13 of them in this camp that was three miles long. That's amazing. Yeah. And they've restored one right when you come in. And, and, you know, that was actually really powerful for me to see that, you know, right upon entry. And, um with, you know, my, all my love of baseball and stuff like that. But they built 13 of those. Within a year, they, were, they had made the camp entirely self-sufficient by farming the surrounding areas. And it become so good at it that local farmers around Twin Falls who needed help on the farm because so many young men had gone off to fight the war, mm-hmm. they started being used as, as labor in those fields as well. Uh, at one point, the uh, these Japanese laborers, the Japanese internees, were 
harvesting for themselves over 100,000 pounds of potatoes a year, 100,000 pounds of cabbage a year, and tens of thousands of pounds of other vegetables that they needed. So many of them, of course, were farmers in California and Oregon and Washington State and elsewhere. They knew how to do this, uh, but they had they had their own fire department. They had their own uh, they had their own barber shops. They had their own schools. All these things. And so, interestingly enough, these people who had had their freedom taken away in the name of protecting other people's freedom. That's why I wanted to talk about it today. They didn't. They didn't turn away from what made them American. They actually doubled down on it mm-hmm. and started playing baseball. They, they actually, they, they actually, the camp got a team together that was given semi-pro status in the area in southern Idaho, and they ended up going into this playoff one year. I think it was 1944. And in the quarterfinals of this playoff, they beat another semi-pro team that was made up of all the guards in the camp, and they beat them 14 to one. <laughs> No, a baseball game, you know, and so it, it got me thinking. And then, of course, at Fort Laramie, where I just was today, Fort Laramie was the site of one of the first major treaties between the U.S. government and the Plains Indians nations, the Sioux, the Mandan, the Arapaho, and all these others. And, uh, and of course, that's a legacy, too, a very sad legacy of freedom for some people coming at the expense of, of freedom for others. And I was... I was really moved by Minidoka on a lot of levels. I've been to, I've been to the worst concentration camps and death camps in Germany and in Poland uh, from the Second World War, and there was a, just a stirring in my stomach to, to have anything that's a, that was remotely associated with that kind of concentration happening in my own country. Right. I've always been bothered by it, but I've never been in that location. And as you know, you go to a place, it becomes a lot more real, you mm-hmm. know, and... You know, and so I got, it got me thinking about, you know, this thing with freedom that, as I mentioned last week and, and the week before, that, that freedom relies upon, I think, first and foremost, a recognition of the, the dignity and inherent value of every human being and their equality. And because if we, don't, if we don't have that equality, it's too easy in certain circumstances, extreme circumstances in particular, for some people to want to protect their own freedom at the expense of others, you know, and, and really quickly, you know, for those who aren't as familiar with the, with the Japanese internment experience, beginning in late 42, early 1943, uh, the U.S. military started going into these camps and drafting and both asking for volunteers for Japanese young men to join the military. And they were told outright, the only, the only positions you will get in the military are frontline combat positions. You're going to go to Europe and fight because they didn't want Japanese-Americans fighting in the Pacific, apparently, right? Like, the fear was, would they have cultural confusion, right, fighting mm-hmm. against the Japanese? And so they were all put together into one regiment. And of, course, and, of course, the military back in 1944, 1945, during the war, was still segregated. So you did not have uh, black soldiers in combat units until the end of the war, and they were always in segregated units. And so this Japanese unit was put into something called the 442nd uh, Regimental Combat Team. And they fought in Europe, and long story short, they became the most decorated military unit of the United States military in the Second World War. Of course they did. Yeah. They were all supremely dedicated, obviously felt they had a lot to prove, but as many of them said in the years after the war, they wanted the United States to win the war, too. Right. You know, and while they were fighting, their wives, mothers, fathers, children back in these camps were doing things that other Americans were doing, like building victory gardens. 
there are victory gardens in this camp. They would go out and help local people under supervision, of course, collect scrap metal for the war effort. They loved baseball because they were all fans of the New York Yankees and the Brooklyn Dodgers and the Cincinnati Reds. They, their heroes were Joe DiMaggio and Babe Ruth and others. And so it was just really fascinating to me in light of this conversation about freedom and having to, to find these places and then to have to actually go look for this place. You know, the only way you would know it was there if you already knew is, or if you already knew it was there. And so I asked my, my friends on Facebook to consider, you know, going to the website for Minidoka and considering helping uh, push for some highway signs to be put up. I asked the ranger there why that wasn't the case. And, and he very politely answered uh, that it was very tough to get the Idaho Department of Transportation to uh, get them on their docket. You know, so I have no idea what that means. Hmm. But at the same time, it's something that uh, I think a lot of people would be interested in going. It's a wonderfully restored place. Uh, it's very moving. It's very um, even-handed, and uh, it, it talks, all of its exhibits talk very at writ large about not only the experience, but the war and why it all happened, um, some of the reactions to it at the time. And it really is this story of, yeah, it's saddening, it's infuriating, but it's also um, really inspiring to see how much these people believed so much in being American, despite being targeted by their own country, that they continued to be American. And they continue to act in ways that are consistent with the freedom that we all cherish. Right. And so I, so I wanted to share that today. So that was a really long way to answer all this. And I have no idea how much time I took. <laughs> well, you know, you still have like three or four minutes. So, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so but I'll get that... my soapbox for a minute. What do you got? No, I, I just think that that's fascinating. Thank you for clarifying the piece about uh, the fact that they were called relocation camps or yeah. internment camps and that that's synonymous. I think people, there's yeah. there's different ways of putting it. And mm -hmm. I think that's crazy that there is not a sign about that, as you say. I mean, I mentioned at the top of the show, you can go visit the world's biggest ball of yarn, but the fact that you can't find this, that's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's too bad. And, you know, and I, and I, I said this, there were some people there talking, you know, from various places, Arizona and elsewhere. And the, uh, the ranger had said to me, we were talking a little bit about my background. And, and he said, well, you know, it's, it's, these are the types of historical things that are uncomfortable and yet are important to preserve. And I just kind of mentioned offhandly, I said, yeah, this isn't, this isn't the history that we really need to be. We shouldn't be afraid of this. It's possible, um, and I think actually absolutely necessary, it's possible to take a look very critically at our own history and our own mistakes, and at the same time still be able to care and love and value our country and the freedoms we do have and the good things that happen here. And they, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Right? The country doesn't have to be the worst country that's ever existed, and it doesn't have to be exempt from being a human institution, right? which means it's imperfect and makes mistakes and it can be unfair and all these things. History is messy that way. And I don't think we, we have to shy away from that. And what I found by going to this place and really engaging with this really sad episode, I got to learn about these amazing stories of these individual people who had every reason to be really bitter and every reason to turn against their own country during the war and never did. And in fact, every, at every opportunity they had to prove themselves, they went above and beyond what anybody expected of them outside of their own community. 
and acted in ways that, in retrospect, this many years later, we all look back and go, yeah, that's, those are proud Americans doing that. And so that was something that has just struck me on the road. And so I knew that for today, uh, I wanted to call in and, and, and share that with you and with everybody else. Well, I would be annoyed that you called in and ruined my moment to shine, except that that's such an important story. So, okay, fine. <laughs> uh, so where are you heading? Where are you heading next? I'm heading to Grand Teton National Park. Oh, that's right. Next, and Jellystone. Gonna be a, and Jellystone. Yeah, Yellowstone. I'm, I'm really excited. Grand Teton, I've been there once before, and I'm, I'm really excited to go there again. It's, it, to me, it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. And that's the other side of this, the, of this freedom, the, the freedom to sit out and enjoy and connect with that kind of beauty, that kind of nature. Uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to have. And, uh, you know, we can travel state to state without papers, right? We don't have to. We don't have to prove where we're going. We can. We can. We can go wherever we want in this country. And, and it's times like this that I really value that. So I, I'm really excited uh, to get out there and spend some time there tomorrow. I'll bet. I'm jealous. I have been yeah. doing a road trip back and forth to our lake house, and um, I I think that. The whole road trip concept, I found a new rest stop that has amazing chicken. It's important that even if it's a road that is often traveled, that you have a beginner's eyes to it. And Absolutely. take a look and see what you find and stop somewhere new, stop somewhere different. I, um, like, that. I like that, beginner's eyes. I do too. Yeah. Um, a mutual friend of ours um, told me that, and I've now basically completely stolen it. Um so I think okay. we only have like a minute here. So mm-hmm. if people want to follow your travels and your writing and your life and the busyness that it is, they can check out your website at wordsbyjdk.com. They can mm-hmm. hit you up on social media. I'm assuming that you're posting pictures of this. Yeah, I am. I, I have a few more to do. I'm a little bit behind, but I will be getting those up. And then I am going to be writing a piece about Minidoka for my blog in the next week or so. Excellent. Let's get a petition started out there to get a National Park Service sign put up. Absolutely. That's that's what I'm thinking is the next step, because they could really use it. And I think it would go a long way to, to really tell that story and really help them out out there. I love that. Okay. You yep. always end the show with advice. Yep. Uh, chins up, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. What he said. he'll be back in studio next week unless of course i really hijack things in the meantime you are listening to this show is all about you thanks for listening 